Welcome back to the latest edition of The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Bruce Feldman, joined as always by my colleague Stuart Mandel. Stuart, before we talk college football, I do want to give you one tip. I don't know if you've had, I don't even know if you're a big chips guy, but if you are, Trader Joe's has an awesome product, the Carolina Gold Barbecue Flavor Potato Chips. I love barbecue potatoes. I love barbecue everything. These potato chips are the best I've ever had. No exaggeration. Wow. Strong yeah. words. Strong Do they word. taste like Carolina barbecue in particular? They do. They have a little bit of that mustard base. It's kind of the tanginess. I'll, I'll be honest. I was like, these are so, they're too good. They're too good. Meaning you really feel like you could just eat the whole bag by yourself. For the listeners, Bruce has actually been talking about these chips for days. I've never seen him so excited about a product. And we're so happy that you can get it at Trader Joe's. Uh, I got to be honest, uh, the week, what week are we on? Week 12 games did not deliver really hardly any, certainly no upsets and hardly any like last second finishes. And unfortunately, uh, Bruce, the biggest news, I think, in terms of the playoff race was unfortunately that Jordan Travis, Florida State's great quarterback and just all around great guy, suffered a pretty gruesome leg injury. And I don't think we're going to be seeing him in a Knowles uniform again. Um, they obviously didn't need him to beat North Alabama, but next week is the Gators and then the ACC championship game against a very hot Louisville team. Can Florida State, because I don't think they can afford a loss, can they do it? Can they get to 13-0 and without Jordan Travis? I think they can. Um, you know, like it was... This is a gruesome injury, by the way. Just like being in studio, we saw the clip and just like I was not prepared for it. You know, I kind of, Mike kills my host and I looked over at his, at what was on his monitor. I just kind of winced when I saw it. Um, you know, so our heart goes out to him. Uh, you know, Tate Rodemaker, who's the backup, and he actually played against Louisville when, when Jordan Travis got hurt last year and rallied them. They were, they were behind and played pretty well. He's going to be the guy. Now, they do have a lot of talent around Travis and around, you know, certainly now around Rodemaker. So I think they can beat Louisville. But, and Louisville's played really well. I think that I feel like they haven't got enough credit for what Jeff Brom's done there in year one. But I don't know. We'll see. I mean, this is going to be a big test because let me ask you because we watched Florida State dominate LSU in the opener. Did, did you then and do you now think they are really capable of being more than a playoff team that they could win the national title? Because they have a lot of they have a lot of talent all over their roster. It's hard to say because I feel like most of the season they've been kind of I mean, the ACC doesn't afford you a lot of big games. Um, and if you remember, I think one of the only top 25 games they played was against Duke, who is now no, no, no longer near the top 25. But I do think they're very talented. Now, kind of the the centerpiece of that was the passing game with Travis and those uh, great receivers. And we'll just have to see how close they can come with that. But um, we'll see this week in particular. Washington fans have been pretty peeved about still being behind Florida State this whole time. Uh, I think given they just added yet another top 25 win over Oregon State, I would not be surprised if the committee flips them. But it wouldn't really matter because Ohio State, Michigan, somebody's got to lose. Um, and that would leave space for both of them. 
the committee is supposed to take into account injuries. I don't think they have to, you know, I don't think they would penalize them for that yet. There's no reason to. You see how they look against their next two opponents. If they go 13-0, they're going to the playoff. Can they win the national championship without Jordan Travis? I think that's going to be a no. Did you think they could win before with Jordan Travis? Probably not, but not because of anything wrong with Florida State. I just think we're all beating our, I think everybody's like trying to talk themselves into somebody other than Georgia. What I've seen from Georgia over the last three weeks against three straight top 25 teams is another national championship team. Um, They're just like toying with teams at this point. Who would you, now here's, here's the game I had in mind for you. All right. No, you're not a big gambler, but this is going to be a theoretical. If I gave you Georgia national champion at five to one odds, so $100, you win 500 or the field straight up, $100 wins 100 which one are you going with? I think I would take the field. I just think it's, no one's ever three-peated before. And yes, Georgia's been really impressive. I'm not that sold on, you know, like, I think they're going to play another level of competition, though, in, in the playoff. You know, when you look at this, I would say the best team they've probably beaten. Now they smashed Mizzou, they smashed Ole Miss. They had their hands full with Mizzou. Those games were home games. I don't think Tennessee is that good this year. We're going to get to Tennessee a little later, um, in some more detail. I, I think Georgia's really good. I don't think I could be wrong, but I don't think Georgia's of the caliber of any of the of the kind of team that we talk about as oh. Is this one of the greatest teams of all time? I don't think that's this Georgia team. I don't think they have to be one of the greatest teams of all time. I mean, I think nobody would have said last last year's team went 15-0, and 0, and I didn't hear a lot of greatest of all time kind of talk. I think the key with Georgia right now is that as great as Stetson Bennett was and leading them to two straight national championships, Carson Beck is better. I mean, he's just, he's got a better arm and he's just picking people apart. Um and the defense, yesterday, Tennessee actually scored a 75-yard touchdown run on their very first play and then scored three points the rest of the way. And it was never you, – you could just tell at some point, like, they're never they're never going to score on them again. So, obviously, we have a huge 11-0 and 11-0 game this coming week in Ohio State-Michigan, and I'm not ruling out either of them. I actually think the toughest matchup, though, for Georgia would be – because we saw this in the semifinal last year with C.J. Stroud – I mean, any team with a great quarterback has a, is going to have a chance against a, even a team with the best one of the best defenses. I would love to see Georgia play Bo Nix or Michael Penix in a playoff or national championship game because, like you said, they haven't played anyone near that in in so far in the SEC. I feel like, and again, this game happened, but I I if you ask me, who do I think is better? Oregon or Washington right now, I convinced myself, and granted, they just played Arizona State. I convinced myself that Arizona, that Oregon is a much more complete team than Washington. I feel like Washington is sputtering. Now, that's a it's not a that's a tough place to play, and it's a good team they beat yesterday, 22-20 in Corvallis. But it, it, to me, right now, I think Oregon is the most dangerous team to um for Georgia. You know, Bo Nix has also been on the field with those guys. You know, he's played played a lot of football in the SEC. He's got really good receivers, really good offensive line. Um, you know, I feel like we're putting aside Michigan and Ohio State for the time being. 
I do. We're going to get a lot of Ohio State and Michigan this week. Yeah, you're um, not alone. I think most people think Oregon is a more complete team. O- Oregon, ever since that game on October 14th, Oregon has just been crushing people. And like you said, Bo Nick six touchdown passes in the first half yesterday against Arizona State. Washington's been in a lot more close games. However, Washington, you know, with that win against Oregon State last night, which was a different kind of game for them, low scoring. Oregon State had the ball for a drive or a touchdown drive where they had the ball for almost 10 minutes. They're the only team that has beaten four current top 25 teams. Like they have earned their 11 and 0. So I feel like I'm slighting them when I say I think Oregon's the more complete team, but I mean, they are. They have a should great Washington running game. Num- should, I'm sorry, this doesn't matter, but I'm going to ask it. Shouldn't, by what you just said, shouldn't Washington be number two in the country then? If, if you're going straight, one, straight resume, yes. Should be but number obviously, one obviously, there's a, you know, they don't just go straight resume. They go by eye test too. There's no question Washington's defense is not on the level of those other teams high up there. So I don't have a problem with them being high behind uh, Georgia and Michigan, but I would have them above FSU with or without Jordan Travis. They have a better resume than Michigan right now. Michigan's got one really good win, and I don't think it's a, you know, like I don't think Penn State right now, you know, with the way their offense is, I don't think that's a great win. No, I yeah, think. I don't know. It's a tough thing. Like, oh, I just cut you off. The listener, a listener that emailed oh, us the yeah. other day is not going to be happy. The podcast, it's meant to be, it's probably meant to be that kind of experience. Somebody, a, a, a guy we both know very well, a loyal listener, texted me after that episode and said, Bruce cuts you off more than, he, than you cut him off. John uh, Walters said that to you? Not not John Walters. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you after the show, though. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's where everybody wants the committee to be completely consistent and you know if, if it are we doing resume or are we doing eye test but i think it's unavoidable that you do some sort of blend because how can we sit here and say we both just said we think oregon is a more complete team than washington we can't then turn around and say but we think washington should be number two um and oregon should be number six right now they're right next to each other and i think that's probably where they should be but you know it's one thing if you have a slightly less of a resume. Florida State's best win still is the LSU game in the very first week. Uh, even LSU is ranked, what, right now? Closer to 20 than 15, I believe. Um, so, you know, has no defense. Um, they'll get a chance to add a top 10 win when they play um, when they play Louisville, who I think has been... You know, that's a team that is such an overachiever that all along, I don't think anybody's really been considering, hey, what happens if they're the 12-1 and ACC champ? But given the Jordan Travis injury, like, that's a very realistic possibility now. You know, like, Minnesota's not a very good team this year, but you watch Trayon Henderson when he's full go. He might be the most talented running back in college football. You know, no slight to Blake Corum, no slight to a lot of guys who have put up big numbers. When Trayvon Henderson's right, he gives them such a different dimension because he's a home run hitter. His feet are so good and he's so dynamic. Um, they don't have CJ Stroud and, and, you know, I get it. CJ Stroud was an awesome quarterback for them and running that system. Kyle McCord has been, been, been quite good. I think, you know, he's had honestly as, as much tests as Carson Beck has this year. I mean, you're talking about yep. both first, first year starters um, you know, he's won on the road. He's won in tough places. Um, 
I feel like he doesn't probably get quite the respect, but this is going to be a completely different animal than any environment he's ever been in to go to Ann Arbor after what's been going on around that program and around, you know, everything involving, including the fan base. I mean, I can't wait to see, you know, how they handle it. Um, what do you expect? You know, you've watched Ohio state a bunch now, right? So mm-hmm. like, what do you expect from Ohio state? I, I do think they're like, when I saw them a couple of weeks ago, they didn't have him and the run game was really muted. And for a long time, they were really rolling with the pass game and their quarterback was, was the star quarterback isn't the star now Marvin Harrison Jr. is the star and if Travion's looked like he did over the weekend he's the other star I mean what do you expect from them right now and how good do you think Ohio State really is well I'm definitely higher on him higher on them now than I was after the Penn State game I think that was four weeks ago now for exactly the reason you said when when I mean that game really Marvin Harrison Jr. was their whole offense they had they been struggling to run the ball. Oh, yeah, they've been struggling to run the ball most of the season. The offensive line had not been very good. And I came away from that thinking, yeah, I don't I don't see how they beat Michigan with this formula. Uh, they have a great defense, but a very limited offense. Well, then Travion Henderson came back the next week. He's had three 100-yard games in four weeks. And they're a much more complete offense now to go with a very good defense. It's, it's a great matchup, not just because they're undefeated, but because they are, you know, somewhat mirror images uh, after, you know, all the criticism about Ohio State being soft, they have definitely, I would not say that of them this year. They don't have C.J. Stroud. They don't, you know, they're not 45, 50 point game team this year. They don't have to be. And then I think one little wrinkle on Michigan was so dominant all season. Obviously, they don't have Harbaugh. Yesterday against Maryland, which was their closest game of the season so far, pretty much. Um, you know, in the two weeks ago against Penn State, they just ran the ball over and over and over, and that's all they needed to do. Uh, against Maryland, J.J. McCarthy was not great. And I thought it was interesting. I would not have thought of this. Austin Meek, our great Michigan writer, points out, all of his worst games this year come when Jim Harbaugh has not been on the sideline. And McCarthy himself said he he plays with like an extra – that Harbaugh gives him an extra spark. So he's not going to have Harbaugh in this game, and he's going to be going up against a great defense. And I don't think Michigan's going to beat Ohio State running the ball 30 straight times. I go back to my buddy Jim Trotter and his use of the word great and him kind of chastising me for don't just throw the word great around. You really think, like, we're going to find out how good the Ohio State defense is. It's good. I'm not, like, last year I think people thought it was great and it got really exposed. I, I, I you don't think it's a lot better than last year's defense. I great is a different level word. Again, this is nitpicky stuff, but I, I wouldn't throw that word around just like that. Right. Um, we'll find out. I think Ohio state leads the nation. Stu, I get it. 3.99 yards per play allowed. Yeah, I know. It's also in the, they completely, well, I want they, I mean, I guess, you know, with both of these teams, not just Ohio State, with Michigan too, one thing you wonder about, frankly, with most of these Big Ten teams, is how many great quarterbacks have they faced? And I guess the best quarterback Ohio State's faced is Sam Hartman, and they shut him down. Um, well, the answer to that is none. 
The answer to your question is none, because I know about Sam Hartman. Okay. Um, Well, I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. Um, Like a great Ohio State, I'm thinking of like the great uh, 97 game that came down a couple of Charles Woodson plays. You know, it might be, um, can can Blake Corum or Travion Henderson hit a hole and break a 60-yard touchdown run at some point? Because I don't think these teams are going to march up and down the field against each other. Yeah, I'm just I, excited to get there. I'm going to be there. You're going to be there. And I think we can agree, not that the atmosphere isn't great all the time for Ohio State-Michigan, but given the circumstances around it right now, given that a lot of Michigan fans think Ryan Day turned them in, um. I mean, it could get nasty. Yeah, it definitely could. It absolutely could. I think this this feels like um, a little bit. There was a really good, well, at least I thought, really good documentary that I want to say ESPN did within the last two years on the Avalanche Red Wings like hatred of each other, and it was really nasty rivalry stuff. And it was charged. And it was. I'm not a huge hockey fan. I'm like a like a very moderate hockey fan i'll watch it sometimes and everything but like i think it encapsulated how nasty things were getting right and having been on the sideline for the game last year i can tell you what the michigan players seem to think about ohio state and the character of ohio state and the toughness of ohio state and there's a big challenger by the way you know this is like like maybe do like a triple take when I saw, cause I was like kind of going through what you just said about, um, you know, the, the offenses that Ohio state's played. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, and again, this is kind of what you can probably do with statistics, but do you know that one of the top 10 offenses in the country is Notre Dame? They're number 10 in the country right now. No, I would not have guessed that. I wouldn't have guessed they were in the top 30. Um, but that's like, again, and this is a, a you know an offense that a lot of people think, you know Notre Dame people think needs to be hiring a new offensive coordinator, and they're number ten in the country. So how is that possible? Um, you know they put up big numbers against some some not so good opponents. You know right now uh, Wake is struggling. They lit them up. They had a really big game against a bad Pitt team. You know there's been a few others in their Central Michigan. Obviously you know they had. You know, they had a, a uh, FCS opponent in there, but it's just like, it's interesting because when you look at what they did, they didn't exactly, again, as bad as USC's defense was, they didn't exactly feast on them. They had, they had short fields and they did, you know, whatever. So anyway, I didn't mean to go down the Notre Dame offense rabbit hole, but maybe it's a little bit of a reflective thing on, okay, do we really know, <laughs> like, how much do we really know about these teams even after we watch them? Well, that's part of why I have Georgia over the field. I feel like they're, I know what I'm getting with them. Uh, I know there's nothing deceiving there. But uh, the other difference about the game this year is, remember last year, Ohio State lost and still made the playoff. I don't know that that's going to be possible for the loser of this year's game. It's too crowded. Uh, as I've pointed out, like, we've never had five 11-0 teams, 11-0 Power 5 teams before. Um, it's hard for me to see a scenario, especially since neither of them has like a bunch of top 25 wins where they could lose this game and still finish in the top four. There would have to be a lot of upsets elsewhere. So this is as high stakes a game as it gets. You know, Michigan, if they lose this game, has really only one quality, and that's 
you know, Penn State Road. Right. I and Ohio State know, will Looking too. at this, let me ask you these scenarios and just the, I don't know, I'll go through this. You're more the, the bull projections guy than me. So, all right, let's say Georgia wins and beat, you know, wins out and they're the SEC champs. They're undefeated. That, that means there's Georgia and only Georgia from there. Uh, let's say Louisville beats a Jordan Travisless Florida State. Uh, let's say that Washington wins out. Okay. So now you got Washington and Georgia definitely in. Somehow Texas gets knocked off in the Big 12 title game by whatever shows up in the Big 12 title game opposite them. So then there's no Big 12 team. Like, is it possible? You could have then, you know, or if it came down to if Michigan beats Ohio State and it's close. So Michigan you're saying Georgia's in, Washington's in, and Michigan's in. And then Ohio, the ACC's out, the Big 12's out. It comes down to Ohio State with one loss compared to a Louisville team with one loss. And it's a bad loss. By that, the way. Well, that might be your one scenario. What do you where think they, happens there? That's your one scenario where they could still get in. Louisville's problem is they lost to a three and eight pit team by 17 points. And in my experience, the committee does not like bad losses. They, they have a hard time putting teams in, whether it was the Ohio state team that lost 49, 20 to Purdue, um, the Penn state, I mean, yeah, the Penn state 2016 team that had a really bad loss to Michigan. They don't forgive those very easily. Now, if Louisville beats 11 and 0, Florida state, Jordan Travis too, if yeah. they were to, but they're also supposed to value conference championships. Louisville, Louisville would have one. Ohio State would not. My gut as of now would say Ohio State. Some of that will just be, you know, because um, Louisville doesn't have the track record of Ohio State. But you may, yeah, you may have found the one uh, scenario where that comes into play. I was thinking last night about what happens if um, Oregon beats Washington and is 12-1 and and you've got... 12 and one Texas there as well. Uh, you know, like I was trying to think last night, there's a scenario where both Washington and Oregon can get in and I couldn't really figure out one though. Maybe it's out there. Everybody keeps talking about the Alabama beats Georgia scenario. You know, the crazy thing is that in that scenario, Alabama beats Georgia and Oregon wins. It's possible. No PAC 12 team gets in. And then there's also yeah. possible scenarios where two of them get in. Well, the one thing that I think, you know, pretty much anybody I know who has listened to our podcast who reached out to me thinks you're crazy if you think an SEC champ that beat the two-time defending champs would get left out no matter what. Uh, as I start to get further into it, I agree. Because I think what will happen is they will move Alabama so far ahead of Texas that the head-to-head won't matter. Everybody keeps waiting for Texas to lose. It just feels like they're not on the level of the other teams. They had a sluggish... First half against Iowa State last night, it was six to three at the half. But they, to this point, they always pull through. And you just said, I mean, the best they're going to throw at them at this point is Oklahoma State. I don't think the the likely the least likely thing is that we, they would get two Big Ten champs, two Big Ten teams in the playoff. To me, would be the Texas losing to whoever is going to be opposite them. I could be totally wrong on this. I think Texas's biggest um, trap door left happened last night and they they survived it you know they had a couple of touchdowns called back because of penalties they made where they you know as brock heward said during the broadcast they didn't even need to you know like they didn't even the block, block in the back, the back they yeah. To do this. yeah but 
I I just think they are so much better than the rest of the Big 12 right now that they should be able to skate through. And I think that'll get them to the playoff. We'll see. Well, I think the thing with the Big 12 is you just you just don't have confidence in any of those other teams. Oklahoma State, when they're on, I think could beat Texas. But they're also a team that has laid a couple pretty colossal eggs. So also the tiebreaker situation in that conference is insane. I guess Texas and Oklahoma State are in if they win. And then the other scenarios are too dense for me to even try to explain because Kansas State's uh, still in the mix as well, um, as is Oklahoma. Uh, Oklahoma State beat the, both of those two teams. That's why I think that's why I believe they are, from what I understand, in if they win. You know it's complicated when the Big 12 had to send out a statement last week or an email clarifying their own tiebreaker. Have you noticed that since these teams have gone to no divisions, the we're, throw, we're having to put out some pretty complicated tiebreakers, it seems. Uh, last year it was in the Pac-12. This year it's in the Big 12. Um, and the conferences are only going to get bigger. I think, I wrote this, but I think once they go to these 17, 18-team conferences with no divisions, there's going to be a season where a conference has three teams go undefeated in conference play. And one of them doesn't go to the championship game. Well, can I can I ask you why they don't do it just this way and just have you know, barring the straight up easiest head to head tiebreaker scenario that resolves it, why wouldn't they just say, "Hey, we're going to take the highest ranked CFP teams at that point"? Because you're just trying to get your best hopes to get you in the playoff. Now, in the case of this, and I guess maybe I'm going to answer my own question, and you would know this better than me because you you live in this world that. 12 team playoff would mean you really would be punishing having a you know a team that could be your third or fourth team that could get in. The reason that I don't you don't see that very often anymore using the rankings as a tiebreaker is that they don't come out till Tuesday. I be, I think there was a scenario in the Big 10 several years ago where they were going to have to if it had fallen a certain way they were going to have to wait till Tuesday to know who was in the Big 10 title game. So I think yeah, they got right. rid of that they got rid of that tiebreaker. And so now they've got all these really complicated ones where it's like record against the next common opponent or record against, I mean, the big 10 one has that one, even though they still have divisions, right? They have one that was going to come down to basically who had gotten to play Iowa. Uh, if Ohio state, Penn state, Michigan had all beaten each other. So, um, you know, something to consider for down the road. Uh, it was a big rivalry game in your backyard yesterday and UCLA, which had looked so bad, the week before against ASU crushed USC as Lincoln Riley's team's spiral culminates finishing seven and five heart. I mean, it's just that you would not have ever imagined that in the beginning of the year. I mean, we were talking about them as a playoff team. And then I feel like once the season started, it was like something, something's not quite right, but maybe they'll figure it out. Or it was just, I think what it was is everybody was so fixated on the defense they didn't really notice that there was something off about the offense, too. Caleb is Caleb, but he's had some bad games. And then last night, it wasn't so much that. They ran for three yards. Three. Um, credit to, to UCLA and that defense. But Bill Plachke, LA Times, one of the most col- prominent sports columnists in the country, wrote this morning that the honeymoon's over and Lincoln Riley is on the hot seat. Not sure I buy that. 
But Will Flash wants to fire everybody at this point. Yeah, he's already called for both of them, Chip and, and Lincoln Riley. But, I mean, what is it like in the USC fan base right now? They had, they've invested so much excitement in this guy. He's going to lead them to the national championship. And this was a very Clay Helton kind of season. Yeah, I think there's a like some panic and there's a lot of frustration. I think some of the things, look, there's probably a lot of people who were in the Oklahoma or are in the Oklahoma fan fan base, but not just the fan base, you know, like our our old friend Jason Kersey, um, excellent former OU beat writer turned law student there. You know, he had his own observations of being around Lincoln and covering the team and some of which, you know, we'd listen to. And, you know, I think there's some things that have you kind of wonder, you're like, OK, you think these things are are not the not the most important things, but then they start to pile up and you start to wonder about, like, is there a micromanaging thing? Is there worrying about things that aren't as important? Now, a lot of, you know. And one of the things I want to bring up is one of the, so we were working on a separate story about other, another coach. And so talked to a lot of coaches who've worked with some of these guys and it's come up as how some of the most elite coaches who are in college football obsess over seemingly the most inane things. Right. And yet it works for them, but for whatever reason it is, seems to be backfiring on Lincoln Riley at this point and i feel like i've said this a lot this year but i was like this wasn't like yeah the defense was really really bad it was bad last year it was every bit as bad this year maybe in different ways but that wasn't that wasn't the big biggest problem there i think the usc had bigger problems it's just caleb covered up a lot of them for a while and then he couldn't and then all of a sudden a lot of the stuff that he was doing um i felt like became problematic too and the you know i go back to the, something that you know an nfl scout had told me it was like it's like he's trying to hit a five-run home run every time and you can't live in that live like that as a college football team or certainly an nfl team and i think ultimately this team really didn't have an identity and i think you know if lincoln's going to still be the coach at usc long term i think he's got to find his lane because the way he, I think he's a brilliant offensive coordinator and, and he's really good at coming up with, with plays. I think how it fits is the big question mark. How do you practice it? How do you practice as a team? Is there any complimentary football component to what you do? You know, it's an, a way oversimplification to go, oh yeah, the defense coordinator stinks. I've said this to you for like over a year and a half now. It's like, who do you think is a good defensive coordinator? Because I don't care who you have. If you pair them with with how that team was playing, I think their defense was going to look radically different than what it does where these guys are like top 10 defensive coordinators. It's not a coincidence that most of the most of the top ranked defenses are in the Big Ten where the offenses just don't play the way some of these other offenses do. And so you see it a different way. And again, like watching that game yesterday, like, I feel like UCLA, and this is like, I've seen that, you know, I did a bunch of these UCLA-USC games since Chip Kelly was a head coach. And it was like, they know how they are going to attack USC. And they have a very defined way of how they think they're going to win that game. 
And I don't think USC, USC just kind of does what USC is going to do. And a lot of times now that's just not working. It's just not. I mean, UCLA pretty much dominated that game from the start. And they were just way more prepared, I think, than USC was. It was almost looked like USC was just like, okay, this is the last game of the season. This is going to be Caleb's last let's game. Let's get the- this over. It was like, they seemed like they were in let's get this over with mode, right? Like they are, their regular season landing a week earlier than everybody else's. And it just, you know, all of their goals are long gone. I didn't, I didn't see like any, you say it was definitely look like the more um, engaged team. As you were saying that about the complimentary styles, I'm, I've loaded up the uh, national rankings in defense yards per play. And you were right. Like all of these top ranked defenses, Ohio State, Iowa, Penn State, Michigan, Notre Dame, none of these teams play hurry up, air raid kind of offenses. I think the closest you're going to get, and this is why I don't think, like you don't need to have Iowa's defense if you're Lincoln Riley. Here's what you need to be, Oregon, which... Bo Nix, you know, throws touchdown after touchdown. They are not, like, putting together long drives for the most part. And yet, they have the 18th-ranked defense in the country. They have some great pass rushers on that defense. Obviously, not a coincidence. Dan Lanning is the head coach of that team. And by the way, that's a good example, too, of the difference, right? These coaches that that are highly regarded coordinators, and in Lincoln's case, play callers, some of them just can't get out of that mode. Others of them become like actual CEO type head coaches. And I think Dan Lanning has done that. He's not uh, trying to be the Dan Lanning of the 2021 Georgia Bulldogs. He's a head coach. And that's reflected in the way they play. So the buzz, I think with Lincoln Riley, even though, like you said, like Kersey and many have pointed out all the similarities, because they kept going to the playoff, because they almost made the playoff last year, it was easy to maybe play those down and be like, this guy's still an elite coach. This is the year that all that wore off and he's going to have to prove that he can, um, that he can produce an elite team that has at least a decent defense and is not, you know, not just the guy who pumps out Heisman quarterbacks. Yeah. And I think something to be said for this, like, and it's why I felt like whenever we do our coach rankings, you always kind of tie Lincoln Riley and Ryan day together. They're not identical, but there's a lot of similarities. They both were really good offensive minds who, you know, have different backgrounds, but they had, they were offensive coordinators for a very established head coach who had a system in place. When I say a system, I meant like their whole structure was pretty much defined in terms of you're the offensive guy. We're going to put you in, in this other part of it. And in Lincoln's case, he kept most, you know, many of the same things that Bob Stoops had run. In Ryan Day's case, he kept almost all the good parts of Urban Meyer and then maybe moved on from the things he didn't like or didn't, you know, feel fit. But but in the case of this, Lincoln was no longer at Oklahoma. He moved to a USC program that was in disarray. In some ways, I think, you know, he got hired there by another AD and another, you know, leadership group that valued certain things. And I think Lincoln was in that place where, you know, I, I'd be curious as to know, like, you know, when things are, when, when things are, are getting uncertain, who do those head coaches lean on? You know, who do they go to? Cause, cause Lincoln's still a, a young guy by coaching, by coaching terms. And, 
I got to think this is a way different dynamic than he's ever been exposed to. It's not to say he can't learn and grow from it, but you know, the people you're around, I think there's got to be somebody who's like kind of outside your outside your world. Not to say it's like somebody who's not a it doesn't have like football coaching experience, but it's like somebody who's not in the middle of it, but somebody who also has been through something at least remotely similar that can work you through because right now just the the idea that like the most prominent voice or one of the most prominent voices in Southern California is now saying less than two years into your tenure that like you're on the hot seat is such a wild 180, um, you know, compared to where we were, but there's no, I don't think there's any mistaking in this. And look, I think Lincoln's a brilliant football mind, but USC was the biggest disappointment of the 2023 season. You know, not just Caleb, you have a lot of really dynamic skill pieces around them on offense. And to see them go seven, it'd be one thing if they went nine and three, but to, and they got blown out by, by our tribal yesterday in their own place, no less. The really humbling moment is going to come about a month from now when Lincoln Riley lands on that land gets off that plane in El Paso and puts on that sombrero. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I haven't stopped to look and see where they're going to be in the bowl, but it, it's not going to be a good one. Um, and here's another coach we were talking about, another offensive guru. He is not feeling anywhere near the heat, but has definitely had a, a return to earth this year. And that's Josh Heupel. Last year, Tennessee was number one in the country going to that Georgia game and we were all writing stories about this offense, this unstoppable Tennessee offense. The receivers are always open. And um, it's been it's not been going so well since. Um, obviously, they got beaten pretty handily by Georgia and then later by South Carolina, though they did beat Clemson in the Orange Bowl. And there was a lot of excitement coming into this year. But they really haven't done much of anything this year. They're 7-4, and four, uh, like we said earlier. I mean, they've, they've gotten clobbered the last two weeks by two – top 10 teams now Missouri they've been outscored 74 to 17 they're really they lost to Florida early in the year Florida might not go to a bowl game really their best win of the year well they beat Texas A&M who's now seven and four and they won at Kentucky who actually is not very good at all and is now six and five so yeah it's been it's been a pretty much of a dud of a season and the offense you know Joe Milton didn't step in and just pick up where Hendon Hooker left off it's been uh, it's been pretty humbling. And meanwhile, Missouri's kind of stolen their thunder in the SEC East. So do we think last, you know, Tennessee fans waited so long for a season like last year. It finally came 11 wins. Is that going to turn out to be an aberration? Can he, can he, was this just maybe a rebuilding year? Nico comes in, takes over. Nico will take over next year. They go back to being, uh, like the Hendon Hooker team, or is this a one-off? Great question. I don't have an answer for it. I Me mean, neither, but I thought I'd throw it out there. No, I get it. I mean, look, they, they lost all four games by double digits. You know, it was like, I was surprised Florida whipped them because I didn't I didn't think Florida was particularly good. Alabama, I'm not surprised, got them. But then I was surprised how much Mizzou just ripped them apart. I'm not surprised what happened yesterday. They'll play Vandy, so they'll probably – you know, it's home. They'll probably beat Bandy to go four and four in the conference and eight and four. I would, you know, coming off of last year, I thought was Tennessee was a revelation. And and again, I, I, that, that happened, right. You know, like 
no matter what, I think Josh Heupel has been a very good hire for Tennessee, much better than I thought he was going to be. Because remember, when he left UCF, that program felt like it was backsliding under him. Um, and again, we'll see what, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe Nico was a much hyped, much um, coveted quarterback recruit. Maybe he comes in there and it looks more similar than it did last year. Um, he's going to be also going into, by the way, a much different SEC because now you got Texas and OU coming in there. Um, I'm interested to see how, how this, like how the SEC looks next year. But if I was a Tennessee fan, I would be, I would be kind of like, okay, what, how did they finish the year? We know they're going to get, well, we don't know this, but like Vandy's really bad. They should go to eight and four. And then what do they do in the bowl game? You know, like, can they finish on a high note to go in to build off that? Because, um, you know, they, they were, they're not USC level disappointment this year but they were i think one of the more disappointing teams in the sec like they to me might be the most disappointing team mm, like, i can think of one that's more and it, and it, okay so what i was gonna say is, is it the same is it the one that has this exact same record as them who fired their head coach no no no, no. it's arkansas and i bring that up because just this morning several reporters reporting that um that that Sam Pittman is told he's going he can come back next year. And I'm just like, man, no matter what the contracts say, you're really only ever on a 2-year contract in the SEC. You know, Josh Heupel can have this down season this year no problem. If they go 7 and 5 next year, there will be people who want his head. Sam Pittman was a hero at Arkansas. You remember how disastrous things were under Chad Morris. He came in, and within two years, they're playing in the Outback Bowl, and they won. And they won. They finished games. number twenty in the country that year. Won nine games. I was getting. I had made the mistake of, you know, um, kind of crapping on that hire at the time, and I got a million screenshots sent back at me from, from you know, uh, gloating Arkansas fans. And you're telling me just two years later, they ha they have a need to actually put out a, uh, it wasn't a statement, but you know, talk to some reporters and say, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Contrary to the rumors, he'll be coming back next season like life turns in a hurry on these guys in the sec billy napier if he gets you know and unfortunately they also lost their quarterback Graham Mertz, for the season uh yesterday they uh you know they they frankly blew it at the end against missouri they had a fourth and 17 just don't let missouri get 17 yards and you win the game and you go to a bowl but they did so they lose their five and six after starting five and two like, I don't know if he's going to make it to year three if they uh, finish five and seven. I think if you fire a guy after two years, you know, especially if it's the same AD, like I, I kind of get what happened at Mississippi State, but man, you know, Billy Napier is like, and I, it's weird because I feel like I'm become a, a turned out to be a big Billy Napier defender, <laughs> um, you know, since he's got the job, but like he did a really, really good job in his first head coaching job. I think you got to give him more time than, than two years. Um, well, if Scott Strickland and Scott Strickland alone gets to make that decision, he'll be back. That's his guy. What we've been hearing for, frankly, since the preseason is there's a possibility that both would go uh, if this is a bad season because they would blame him for another bad hire. Um, look, it's not a rational world. Like, yes, in an absolutely rational world, you take emotion out of it and you go, he's only 
had two years. He's got a top five recruiting class for next year right now that they've had a few decommits recently. Like, let's let's wait and see. But, man, you lose – you end on a five-game losing streak. And, by the way, after what A&M did, that he has a $31 million buyout. I feel like now that A&M kind of broke that seal, uh, money will no longer be an issue. I just think the SEC, especially when it goes to 16 teams, it's going to be a lot like the NFL. Where basically, you know, in the NFL, if you miss the playoff, unless you're Bill Belichick and you have some mileage built up, if you miss the playoff two years in a row, you're out. And I think that's what the SEC is about to become. Okay, Stu, back to the podcast in a second. But now a word from our sponsor, LinkedIn Talent Solutions. When you are hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just a jobs board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So, if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within the first 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. So, post your job for free at linkedin.com slash audible. That's linkedin.com slash audible to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. As we go in, we've got a week left before the championship game. So I was kind of, I've kind of been tracking the the races in the group five conferences. And there are some really dramatic and interesting ones. In the AAC, there are three seven and O teams going to the final weekend, though Tulane is playing UTSA, so that'll that'll decide that. But things got crazy in the Mountain West yesterday, Bruce. The UNLV Rebels, so bad for so long, are now alone in first place in the Mountain West. After beating Air Force, um, New Mexico, you know, forlorn New Mexico, 24 and a half point underdogs, knock off Fresno State and knock Fresno State out of the race. So you've got UNLV at six and one in conference and then Air Force, Boise State and San Jose State, which at one point I believe was one in five, all have a chance to go to the championship game. And the craziest part is that Boise State's already fired their coach. And they can go to the championship game. So, um, and I think they're all playing each other next week. So UNLV plays San Jose State and Air Force plays Boise State. I want to ask you about UNLV. I mean, I really think this is not getting nearly enough attention. UNLV has been so bad for so long. There was one of these jobs where you're like, who would want that job at this point? But when they hired Barry Odom, a, a former and recent SEC head coach, I thought, huh, that's a, that's a different formula. Maybe that can work. Sure enough, UNLV is 9-2. and two. It's their best record since the 80s. 
And you've spent some time kind of reporting on that. Like, how did this happen? A lot of things. First of all, credit, you know, you're talking about Sam Pittman a minute ago. So Barry Odom was Sam Pittman's defensive coordinator after he got fired at Mizzou. And when I talked to him, I've talked to him, you know, a handful of times over the course of the year. But when I talked to him earlier in the year, when they started to get it going, he was like, he learned from, from Sam Pittman, who learned from Kirby Smart about how to practice and how to really develop depth and commit to next man up. And that has paid off in a huge way. Um, I think credit to Barry Odom, who that was his first head coaching job. He, he was elevated from Gary Pinkle, who was, who was a mentor to him. And you know, he did okay. He didn't like bomb there. He just, you know, four years, they kind of fizzled out and they made a coaching change. But I think he's learned a lot from his first time there. One of the things that turned out to be very fortuitous for him was that Jimbo Fisher ended up scooping up Bobby Petrino. Bobby Petrino had been at UNLV for like a couple of weeks um, as the offensive coordinator, and he bailed on him. It's not surprising you'd go from, you know, the from a Mountain West school that nobody's won at to Texas A&M and Texas A&M's resources and skill talent. Bobby Petrino bolts. And he hires Brennan Marion. Brennan Marion's a guy who a lot of people inside of coaching kind of know, but also, you know, his story, we've written about him a bunch at The Athletic. Um, his go-go offense, he had he had some success at Howard and William and & Mary. And he was a position coach who bounced around. And Brennan gets the shot, and they have really responded. And I thought it was interesting just in that, you know, his offense has way outperformed what Petrinos has done at AM. Both teams have had to use backup quarterbacks because of injury. His guy has flourished. And it's it's a really interesting kind of 180 for UNLV football, you know. And that those hires, I think, you know, we'll see how you know how they finish it off. But I just think there was a lot of new energy and guys who are like, okay, this is what we're gonna do. And they have an identity. You know, like I think Barry knew exactly what he wanted. And I know like where Brennan's at. It was like Brennan Marion had told me this. So he grew up, you know, grew up in the football sense with with GJ Kinney, who's done a really good job at, at Texas State and also a really good offensive mind, young offensive mind. And Brennan Marion grew, you know, came out of the Gus Miles entree offensively. And people would be like, Yeah, that's a high school offense, or it's you know, kind of fluky. And then GJ Kinney texted him was like, You just run your shit. And just kind of like, and I think that part of it, sorry to use, you know, profanity or whatever, but just to be true to it is we're going to do what we believe in and we think it works. And a lot of times I feel like guys, coaches get into stuff and they don't always do that and they kind of deviate from it and they haven't and it's paying off. And, you know, that was a big win for them at a tough place to play against a really good Air Force team. Real quick. What's the go-go offense? The go-go offense, I wanted, like, we should almost put up a link to it. I mean, they do some funky stuff with motions. It's out of, they take shots downfield, but it's also elements of what you see from Gus Malzahn in terms of that run game, where it's a lot of different looks where you have split backs. I mean, there's, he sent me some videos of literally like, this is how a ring around the rosy motion. And it gives defenses a lot of false reads and it really stresses what they're looking at. Um, and they have a lot of speed. And I think it's a, it's just a really, um, I don't say it's 
entirely new stuff, but I just think it's a different packaging of it. And it's a modern triple option offense, basically. Like, but it, they, but, they have the they have they can run the option off a lot of those plays. They can, but it's also it's a it feels like it's a lot of different ways to get into the window dressing part of it, right? Well, there's two pretty good Mountain West head coaching jobs open, and uh, if I were them, I would definitely give him a call. There's also a power five, another power five job open right now, uh, as of this morning, which is Syracuse. I don't think either of us are surprised that they have parted ways with Dino Babers, who was there eight years and really, other than that one 2018 season, was never able to really get it going. How you're from somewhat that part of the country, like how attractive a job, if at all, is Syracuse these days? The people it's attractive to, I think, are the ones who knew what it was like when Paul Pasqualoni had it rolling. And it's very unique in that regard. And if you try to coach it like almost any other job, you'll ultimately fail. I really believe that. And the people who, who are around it feel that way too. Um, it's very provincial. You know, like one of the stories that I've done in the last year or so that seemed to get the most traction within football was a story that I think this is kind of originally your idea, not to give you too much credit, but um, about the Wayward Program series. And that was not my idea. Don't give me credit for that. Uh, but okay. the whole series. But yes. I did I did, you know, work pretty closely with our editors on like which teams we should do it on. And Syracuse was always a really interesting one to me because of just what you said. Like when I was in college, Donovan McNabb was there and they were rolling. Yeah. And so it was really about what made Syracuse special. That's what the story was about. And talked to a lot of people who who knew that and knew about it. And it was a fun, like oral history story. But and the people I some of those people I talked to are still really connected to Syracuse. And they were like, Yeah, this is it for Dino. This is gonna be the last year unless something amazing happens for him. And now they're at that point. And we'll see if they can find somebody. Also, it may be a really hard hire for them to hire somebody who might be around 60 years old, who's not the traditional hot coach in terms of that. Um, but a lot of people think that's the way they need to go. We will keep an eye on that. Why don't we do our shout outs? All right. My shout out is, is on one of those kinds of guys who is not the young and up and comer guy. It is Jerry Kill who did a really good job at Minnesota not that long ago. His New Mexico State team went to SEC country and smashed the Auburn Tigers. Unbelievable. They are 9-3, and three, Stu. In the previous four years before Jerry Kill got the job, they won a combined eight games. You know, And so sometimes the guy who is not the, you know, the young, high energetic, you know, has the coordinator buzz, Sometimes those guys don't work out, but whatever it is, you get a bunch of coaches who could be around 60, but they know exactly what they want and how to do it. And they can do some amazing things and, you know, credit to New Mexico state. They went to a bowl game last year and now I don't know what, what kind of bowl game they can go to it. You know, they, cause they have a chance They I think they have rich rods team next week. Who's good, but they can get to 10 wins. Well, and then they already, they're going to play Liberty undefeated Liberty in the conference USA championship game. Uh, either of those teams were in conference USA last year. Yeah. They smacked Auburn uh, and Auburn paid them $1.8 million to come play that game. It's um, look, Jerry kill, you know, had those health issues, the seizures, and 
looked like he was not going to be able to go back to being an on-field coach. He was basically, he was um, at Virginia Tech for a little bit and behind the scenes. He was, Gary Patterson brought him on behind the scenes. But then when Gary Patterson got fired, he was the interim coach for those last three or four games. And that's when New Mexico State hired him. And I remember thinking, well, that doesn't make much sense (laughs) on either side, but silly me. Um, Just an amazing story. And it's one thing to, you know, for a group of five team to go, and beat an SEC team in one of those guarantee games, but they smoked them. And all, all Auburn has to do now is turn around and play the Iron Bowl. Um, I'm going to be a little um, cheesy here. I'm going to give my shout uh, Cheesy is not the right word. I'm going to be a little partisan here. Uh, I'm going to give my shout-out to David Braun, Northwestern's now permanent head coach, replacement for Fitzgerald. Bruce, I don't know about you, but going into the season – after the hazing scandal comes out, after they fire Pat Fitzgerald and they promote a guy who was a defensive coordinator in the FCS last year, I'm thinking two and ten, maybe three and nine. No, six and five, um, coming off back-to-back wins over Wisconsin and Minnesota. He got the permanent job this week. They they play Illinois this week. They could go seven and five. Uh, to me, that would be. That's the turnaround that we thought might happen at Colorado early in the season. Like, that's the miraculous, you know, it really makes me wonder, actually, like, gosh, what what was going wrong under Pat Fitzgerald toward the end there? Like, they were 1-11 last year. Um, ben Bryant was a good pickup, good QB transfer from Cincinnati, and their defense has just gotten so much better. So I was, as you know, a week ago at this time, not entirely convinced they should promote David Braun just because it would be a rare chance to go out and hire somebody from the outside. But I nobody could say he hasn't earned it. So um, congrats to him and to the Wildcats. Okay. Also, a quick shout out to Appalachian State knocking off undefeated James Madison. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of attention around that game. So Ohio State-Michigan week, rivalry week, uh, Thanksgiving week. We will come back with our second episode. Send your questions to the audible pod at gmail.com. We'll see you next time. How did we get away with the things we used to do?